Good morning. Welcome to the broadcast. This is Bill Vanderbush. I'm so glad you've joined me today. Today I'm broadcasting from Council Bluffs, Iowa. We're doing a conference here. We'll be leaving here and going down to Dallas. So this week is a week we just go from the top to the bottom of the middle of the United States. And uh, we're just really excited about what we're finding here. All over the world, people are excited about Jesus, tapping into the mysteries of God. And it seems appropriate because we're in a day where, you know, we're filled with uncertainty. uh, And in that place of uncertainty, people are finding uh, a grace in going after something in God. Not that is an inheritance that we have yet to see, but an inheritance that in generations past we've lost. And much of the reason why we lose the things of God over the years, that is the inheritance that we have access to, the power that we have the ability to walk in, is that we find ourselves in a world increasingly filled with comfort and leisure. And when we create a world full of comfort, it feels like a world where less and less of us just need God until something uncomfortable happens. Something takes place in our lives that throws us into a state of panic because now we're out of control. And in those moments, we cry out to God. You know, if you cultivate a relationship with the Lord when times are good, You won't panic trying to make up for lost time when times are bad. I think a relationship with the Lord, uh, it it puts you in a state, you and I in a state of, of being prepared for just about any circumstance. But it's not like training as a nurse or an EMT for some tragedy. A relationship with the Lord opens your eyes to a childlike wonder that's available for you. Uh, I preach a ton on the grace of God. As a dear friend of mine says, grace, uh, the grace message is a precursor to a revelation of forgiveness, which is a precursor to innocence, which is a precursor to childlikeness. Tracy said many years uh, ago, she's been saying this for a while, that there's a move of God that is coming that is going to be a move of childlikeness. The next move of God re- returns us to that place of childlikeness. What does that mean? It means that we've made things way too complicated and God is bringing us back to a place of simplicity. The simplicity is just Christ himself, you and Jesus in relationship, in union, in reconciled union with the heart of the Father because of what Christ has done. Now by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I have the ability to to see, to know God, to behold him and to be transformed in the beholding to realize that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, that the heart of the Father is meant to beat within us, that becoming theological experts is not the key to walking in the kingdom, to seeing the kingdom of God you've got to be as a child. And that is let everything be stripped away, let everything you think you know be stripped away so that you can truly see Jesus. You know, I said this this week to somebody and it just really kind of caught hold in the conversation, but we read the scriptures so often to try to get smarter. (laughs) It's like, this is something personally for us. Don't read the scripture to try to prove what you think you already know. Read the scripture and study the scripture to see things you didn't know were even there. See things that you, you didn't even realize that you could see. To see beyond uh, what, what we've just been taught and told in the Sunday school stories. There are so many layers to the revelation that God unfolds in the scripture. And to see it with the eyes of a child 
is to see it with a limitless imagination, not to imagine things that aren't there, not to read into it things that don't exist, but to realize that God is hidden amazing truth in their force. And he still speaks to us today. Now, why do we know that? Well, Jesus said, he said to his disciples, I have so many things I want to say to you, but you can't bear them now. But when the Holy Spirit comes, the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. And so there's a, a revelation that Jesus drops there that there's much that he wants to unveil to us. But at the time that he was speaking there, the disciples weren't able to bear up under the weight of what would be released if he spoke to them. And the same is true for us today. What is available to us today goes beyond uh, anything that we have allowed ourselves to even see or to know. It's not that God will contradict his word, but there are things that God has to show us that I hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, it hasn't even entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. That's not a posture of how you feel about God. That is a posture of your heart's surrender to obedience to the voice of the Lord. Our love for him is what unveils a revelation of our union with him. It's in that place of love that you want to get closer to someone. And so when you truly love God, the desire in your heart is to know him better, to know him more. That's why Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1.17, that God would grant them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And uh, that spirit of wisdom and revelation would, would be in the knowledge of him. In other words, we would know Christ better to know the Lord. And there's something about the invitation to know him. And we don't answer that invitation out of a sense of duty or obligation. We answer that invitation because we are moved, compelled by love. Now, you say, what kind of uh, love could I have or be generated, compelled by love? What do you mean by that, Bill? That doesn't make sense that I'm compelled or moved by love for God. How do I get more love for God? Get a revelation of the goodness of what he has done, what he has accomplished, what the cross accomplished. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says that the love of Christ compels us, having come to this conclusion that one died for all, therefore all died. The realization that you and I were with him in death on the cross before we even got here, he thought of us. He included us, brought us into himself on the cross so that, as Galatians 2.20 says, we got crucified with him. No longer you that lives anymore, but Christ that lives in you. And this life you now live in the flesh, you live by the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. The revelation of what Christ has accomplished for us, not just 2,000 years ago, but his intention for us from before the foundation of the earth, he chose you to be in him. That the new covenant as we know it is not just a better deal in the line of along a bad, along a bad a line of bad deals here. It's a it's a uh, a revelation that Christ has always been available. He was with the Father from the beginning. Jesus is who God has always been. Self-revealing self-sustainable, single, solitary, sacrificial source of life for all of us, for the salvation of all of us, that he saves us single-handedly, 
doesn't even need our help, invites us into agreement with what he's done. And when we see the goodness of what he's done, that he's created us, formed us, not by our own will, it's he who's made us and not we ourselves. And when we don't like the creation, when we curse the creation, we're in a sense cursing the creator. You say, well, I've never cursed God. How often do you curse yourself? How often do you, do you question your, yourself, your adequacy, whether you're enough? Yet in Christ, who is more than enough, his enoughness defines our lives, our inheritance, because he is all in all. So you are enough in him. Everything you need, you have access to in Christ. Is that a good way to start out the broadcast today? Hopefully you get some encouragement from that. There's a a goodness in the gospel that radiates far beyond even the power of any one person's words to convey it. Uh, Though though a, a million lifetimes could spend their entire waking moments speaking of the goodness of God, still we find ourselves falling far short of the reality of that goodness. So to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, is to find yourself included in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never had that encounter, that experience where you said yes to the Lord. Listen, today, this may be a day. This isn't even my message yet today. I got to get to it. It's about Jonah. But uh, the, the thing I wanted to talk to you about today is, is to lead into it. Maybe today is a day where you're saying, Jesus, I, I feel in my heart a drawing to know you more. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. And you say, I, I, I just feel like I've done so many bad things. Those things are called sin. And when we sin, we create a barrier in our own heart and our own mind between us and God. And the devil would love to tell you that that sin barrier is insurmountable. I'd love to tell you that that sin barrier has disqualified you from getting to know God, that knowing God is only for the perfect, pure, righteous, holy people, but not for you. And today I tell you that the power of the blood of Jesus Christ overcomes, breaks, heals us from the disease of sin once and for all. And, uh, and so I just declare that over you today. I say over you today that today is a day for you to say yes to Jesus. And know that you're a child of God, that sin is broken off of your life. If you agree with what I'm saying, just say amen from your heart. Say, Jesus, I receive you. And by faith, I say amen to the power of sin being broken off of my life today. And may in the spirit, you just hear those chains fall to the ground and be as if they never were there. May he baptize you in innocence, receive his grace and forgiveness, find yourself being restored to that place of innocence, and then awakened to a childlike wonder. Newness of life, new eyes open, new breath taken. Look at the world around you. The sky is blue, the grass is green. There's color in the world around you. It's a gift of God that he has given to you and me to be able to experience this glorious world in and with and through and by and for him. He's the center of it all. He holds all things together. Today, right now, he's holding you. Hear me, sir? He's holding you right now to be the best father you can be to those kids. Mom, he's holding you right now to be a mother that carries the praying heart of God, that seeks to intercede for them. That, that has no anxiety for their future because you know 
Christ in them, the hope of glory will emerge that as you train them up in the way they should go. When they're old, they will not depart from it. So I just I just pray that this is just an encouraging intro to you today. I want to take you to the story of a guy named Jonah. Uh, I don't know why the Lord has drawn me to Jonah so much. It feels like uh, that that it just was sort of out of the blue. I was sitting on an airplane and I was kind of scrolling through the scriptures and I came across the prayer of Jonah. Haven't preached on this in a long time, but I began to see some new things. God just dropped some new nuggets of revelation into my heart about the life of Jonah that I felt were really pertinent for us today under the covenant of Christ in this place of union. Is there some things that we can learn from Jonah that, uh, that we can draw into today. Well, there always are. I mean, one of the things about Jonah that makes him such an interesting anomaly is that Jonah has what is arguably the largest single conversion on record in human history to one single message. And it remains as perhaps the shortest presentation of, of the word of the Lord in the Bible on record and yet resulted in the largest single conversion in human history from one sermon. And the evangelist, Jonah, was not happy with the results. That's what makes this thing so funny, you know, because you can raise tons of money and go to the other uttermost parts of the earth, and you can, you can uh, you know, see one or two people come to Christ and feel like it was all worth it. Jonah doesn't want to answer the call when he finally does an entire city, a massive company of people uh, of all walks of life repents and turns to the Lord and finds salvation. And Jonah is upset because he just hates these people. Well, let's go backwards a little bit to, to the story of how Jonah even got to Nineveh in the first place. Jonah hears the word of the Lord. And instead of going to Nineveh, he jumps on a ship and he heads the other direction. And a storm rises and the people realize something's going on here. And Jonah goes, yeah, that's me. Me and God got into it. And, uh, you know, best thing you guys could do is throw me overboard. And so they do. They toss Jonah overboard. The Bible says the Lord prepared a great fish and the fish swallowed Jonah. Now we're going to find Jonah inside the belly of the fish. And this is what Jonah prays. I want to take this prayer and just put it before you and show you a couple of things about this prayer that are just fascinating, especially about the life of Jonah. Jonah in the fish says this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So, <laughs> the Bible says the Lord spoke to Jonah and it vomited out him out onto dry land. So Jonah goes through quite a ride here. But one of the things that really catches my attention about this prayer is the part where it says in verse 7, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Prior to that, Jonah is having the pity party of a lifetime. And come on, he's been swallowed by a fish. I mean, what a horrible way to go. And yet, he blames God. Like, God, you did this to me. And and he realizes he has no argument against God. Kind of like when Job and God encountered one another And Job says, in response to God's words, I put my hand over my mouth. In other words, in your presence, I really have nothing to say. I have no argument. Jonah's kind of in the same place here. And he gets this sense of being forsaken by God. You know, the, the, the scripture says that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. But that doesn't mean we won't feel for forsaken at times. And if you're in the belly of a whale or the belly of a fish, because you were disobedient to the word of the Lord you might feel somewhat forsaken. And yet Jonah says here, the waters closed in over me to take my life, deep surrounded me, weeds wrapped around my head. And then he suddenly realizes, I remembered the Lord. The circumstances of our life have a tendency to cause us to forget the presence and the word of the Lord. And this is what happens to Jonah. The circumstances of the moment that he's facing in that moment caused him to forget the Lord. He's blaming God. But what does he remember? He remembers the faithfulness of God. He starts talking in verse 8 about those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. God is stirring in him a revelation that those given over to idols will not experience the inheritance of the love of God. And he doesn't want to give any grace, salvation, love, any message away of of hope to the Ninevites because he does not love these people. But somewhere in him, God is stirring at least enough compassion to where he will be obedient enough to do what God has told him to do. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And isn't that a sad reality? This must be what Jonah felt regarding the Ninevites. He says, with a voice of thanksgiving, I'll sacrifice to you and vow what I've paid. Salvation belongs to to the Lord. And what he's saying here is, Lord, if you want to save these people, that's up to you. You go ahead and do it. You save who you want to save. Isn't that kind of the way we, even in the, the, the covenant of Christ, the Christic covenant, the new covenant day with the gospel approach the Lord? And that is, you know, if God saves people that we don't think are worthy, if God brings salvation to people that we don't think have earned it, are we going to be offended at God? We are, in a sense, Jonah of the day today, whenever we tell God that somebody is beyond grace. Uh, the story of Jonah is really a Christic covenant invitation to peer into a portrait of grace in the middle of the time of the law. 
And I want you to see a few things about Jonah that, that stuck out to me this week that I've never seen before. First one, if you want to take notes, number one, God uses people to reach people. And, and it doesn't take a lot. One person surrendered to the call of God can reach an entire city, can reach an entire nation. God doesn't raise up a team or a company of people to go reach Nineveh. He calls one guy. And God has a tendency to use the few, the little, to accomplish the much. You might think, well, I'm only one person, don't have a church, I don't have much influence, what can I possibly do? Look at the life of Jonah. God used one person to reach an entire city. He didn't call a nation to reach a nation, he called a man to reach a city. This is hopeful for me because it tells me that God can do great things through any of us who are willing to just say yes to the Lord. Understand here also, you say, well, God can reveal himself to people. Why didn't he just go reveal himself? You know, in nations around the world, that is happening. As people are encountering what they're calling the man in white, as Jesus is self-revealing to them. But his preferred way of operating is through you and me. He uses people to reach people. Could God have revealed himself to the Ninevites? Yes. And I would argue that he did in Jonah. God revealed himself as the message, the the grace, the forgiveness, the love of God, the repentance to turn away from your wicked ways. He revealed it through a man, through a person. So God loves to use people to reach people. I don't like the word use, and I know some of you don't either. To, to Let's say like this, God will co-labor, co-work, work with you, within you. God will invite you to partner with him to bring a message to people. It's a matter of life and death for them. And so God uses people to reach people and it doesn't take a whole lot. If you are that one person that surrenders to the call of the Lord on your life, you might be shocked at what God can do with that surrendered heart. Number two, God gives grace to those who who need it, not to those who have earned it by their efforts or lineage. Jonah had been a devout Jew his whole life, an Israelite who sought the Lord more than likely, learned the Torah growing up. Jonah would have been uh, somebody devoted to the word of the Lord, which is how he came to be a prophet in the first place. What he didn't like was what God told him to do as the relationship developed. And so Jonah hears the word of the Lord, go to Nineveh. I don't think it's that Jonah's afraid. He should have been more afraid of the word of the, disobeying the word of the Lord. But the reality is, is he just does not like these people. And when he goes to the city, he shows no fear at all. He just doesn't want them saved. How do we know that? Because when they are saved, he's not happy about it. Jonah's preference would have been for these people to be judged. God chooses Jonah for this task, I think, because he knew that Jonah needed to give this message as much as the people needed to hear it. God gives grace to those who need it, not because you've earned it, because your heritage demands it. Oh, my great-grandfather was a minister. My grandfather's a minister. My dad's a minister. Therefore, I'm just automatically in the club. Listen, I don't doubt your, your heritage is valuable and priceless. What's been passed down to you is valuable and priceless. But this is not how we get grace. Grace comes to us from Christ alone. 
not because your daddy was a good person. Grace comes to you because of Jesus. And grace comes to those who need it. It's for those who need it the most. It's not something to be earned by your self-righteous efforts. Grace exists for people who absolutely are helpless to save themselves. And that was the Ninevites. God gives grace to those who need it. Isn't it interesting? So often, the people we don't think qualify for grace are the very people that God wants to give grace to. And the people that God wants to give grace through are often the people that don't want to give it away. God's forming us, creating something in us. There's something about the giving of grace that forms the image and likeness of God in us to put the Father heart of God on display through us to an orphaned world that feels lost, forsaken, and alone. The Ninevites were not the chosen like Israel. Yet through Jonah, God revealed his desire that they be included. And Jonah carried the message, and listen to this part, this leads us into the next part. Jonah carried the message that God told him to carry, but he didn't carry the heart of the Father. This is the third part. Just because someone has a call on their life and walks in obedience to that, to preach the gospel doesn't mean they carry the heart of the Father. A lot of people are confused, not because they've heard a message so much that's confusing. They may have heard the message of the gospel and what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But God will use even reluctant, broken vessels to deliver the gospel. The problem is when we hear maybe even the right message, but we don't see on display the Father heart of God, the compassion of heaven, uh, something that doesn't necessarily, necessarily reflect the image and likeness of God. They just hear the right words that invite people to a message, to receive and respond to a message or the gospel but they don't see the Father heart of God, it leads to a lot of religious confusion. So just because somebody's got a call of God in their life, that's not enough. Just because somebody walks in obedience to preach the message God, God tells them to preach, that's not enough. Just because they actually preach the gospel and put it out there doesn't mean, none of these things mean that they carry the Father heart of God. Now understand what I'm saying here. We have the responsibility as, as people. I'm just saying to every Christian that's listening to this right now, we have responsibility to know him so that we put the Father heart of God on display. That we find ourselves a, a, a people of compassion, a people of uh, the Father heart of God will challenge you. The Father heart of God will call you higher. The Father heart of God will will pull you out of the muck and the mire of a self-destructive lifestyle. The Father heart of God is consistently pointing, pointing toward a better way. The Father heart of God calls your true identity out, doesn't affirm a false identity that he never uh, called you to have. But the Father heart of God also loves you eternally, unconditionally, right where you are. The Father heart of God never sees you as disqualified from the robe and the ring. The identity and the authority that he's carried, uh, uh, held onto for you. And when you return to the heart of God, he'll restore you to that standard, that place that you squandered, walked away from, threw away, cast away. 
You know who you'll have to deal with? You're going to have to deal with your brothers and sisters in Christ. The prodigal son, when he came home, listen, it wasn't the father that he had to deal with. The father was ready to grace him and forgive him. Now, it was the elder brother. It was the servants in the house. It was the people who hadn't gone out and done the things the prodigal son did. Those people were now going to make it hard on the prodigal son once he came home and was no longer prodigal. He was just a son. And when you come home and you just try to be a son, the people who have earned it, the people who have in their life have done it all right, they will often be the ones that you contend with the most. Don't let, listen to me what I'm saying right now, don't let a man's inability to put the father heart of God on display confuse you from what God actually is like. Don't find God in people. People can point you to God, but God will reveal himself in Christ by the Holy Spirit, and he will always be better than any person you have ever met. Don't let people's inability to put the heart of God on display be a stumbling block for you to know him better. I'm at the end of my time today. You can write to us the old-fashioned way at Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. Jump online, Vanderbush Ministries or BillVanderbush.com to listen to this podcast again. Subscribe to this podcast and hey, drop a note to the radio stations that you listen to if you listen to this on the radio. Uh, my goodness, we are having such a blast out on the road these days, seeing God do amazing, amazing things. Listen, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, it opens up a whole new world of childlike wonder for you. And in that place, you'll be called to do things that are beyond your pay, pay grade. Don't worry or be concerned that you're not worthy. Just say yes and watch what God will do. This is Bill Vanderbush from all of us here at Faith Mountain Ministries. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.